Hey, everyone. Today's episode is part two of our two-part series on the WhatsApp Pakistani mango trade. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and check it out. Last time on Proof, reporter Ahmed Ali Akbar investigated the unusual WhatsApp Pakistani mango trade. Have you been able to acquire them in the United States since moving here? I have not. So when he texts me to order, I just uh, text him back and he charges my credit card, which is on file with him. They're all basically either ignoring my emails or, you know, they're responding up until I want to interview them and then they ghost me. Because before we don't find it, it's hard to find it. Where did you find it? Because the people deliver us here. He's coming somewhere in Texas or somewhere, and the people bring from Texas. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. In the engineering lab at OXO, senior product engineer Mac Moore builds prototypes, bringing OXO gadgets to life. I cut the blade out of a bigger spiralizer and glued it inside a cut-up water bottle, and it turned out it was like the perfect size to hold in your hand, but we got like these springy, fun noodles that we really liked. And I brought it home that night to make zucchini pasta for dinner, and from then on, we just made it real. Bring your dinner creation to life. Shop all products at OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO. Better guaranteed. Hey, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Bob's Red Mill. Stay tuned at the break for their quiz. The mango distribution being conducted over WhatsApp in the Pakistani community in the U.S. is hard to crack. Over the course of a year-long investigation, I tried to learn all I could about the budding little industry, but what was preventing me from truly cracking the case was my inability to get any importers or middlemen to speak to me on the record. That is, until I met the alms dealer. I'll put a few mangoes in my suitcase, hide them under my dirty socks. No one's going to check. As you drive closer and closer to the border... You know, that's when uh, the doubt starts hitting you. Back in 2011, before the Pakistani mangoes were available in the U.S., the alms dealer used to go eat them in Canada or try to smuggle them over the border into the U.S. At that point, it was for recreational use, not for sale. And then, you know, your palms get sweaty. You answer the questions, you know, anything to declare? No. Uh, Luckily, I've never been caught. When I came to his home in Jersey, the alms dealer offered me two bottles of water, a bowl of chocolate-covered pretzels, and some samosas. Classic immigrant kid hospitality. He claims he hasn't been to Pakistan since 1996, and he barely speaks Urdu, but he fakes it with his Pakistani mango connect, only saying really basic stuff like acha, which is like good. He asks us to only refer to him by his business name. So I go by the alms dealer. By day, I am a Attorney, I actually work at an investment bank in New York City, but my side job for about eight weeks during mango season is providing Pakistani mangoes to the tri-state area. Remember, am is the Urdu word for mango, so arms dealer, it's a play on arms dealer. 
He said that he ate the Pakistani mangoes freely during his Canadian childhood and was frustrated with his inability to get them in America. So he'd either go and eat them in Canada, where the regulations are looser, or try to smuggle them in. There was this whole kind of underground mango smuggling going on. People will go to Toronto or, you know, anywhere in Canada, buy Pakistani mangoes and smuggle them. So there's kind of this whole illicit feel to getting Pakistani mangoes in the States. While reporting the story, I heard an unverified but pretty hilarious story of a Michigan husband-wife duo who planned these weekend Canadian getaways in a hotel. And when they arrive, their dealer has mangoes chilled in their room waiting for them. And they spend the whole weekend gorging on them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They do this even after mangoes were permitted in the U.S. after 2011 because the Canadian supply is so much bigger. But trips to Canada are not a consistently viable option for many daisies. So when the alms dealer found out he could purchase mangoes through WhatsApp, he quickly found himself with a seasonal side gig every summer. And so I would get orders. And it was funny because you would have these cars pull up in my driveway. Fancy cars, you know. People would come, ring the bell. I'd hand them their box of mangoes and they'd drive off. And I'm sure my neighbors probably thought this guy's running some drug ring out of here. Business was relatively contained at first, but things changed when a physician friend of his posted about his little business on a WhatsApp group of about 400 or 500 Pakistani physicians. And that's when the business really took off. I think when I really realized I'm onto something is when somebody called me and said, okay, I'm going to send an Uber. Just put the mangoes in the trunk of the Uber, and the Uber will drive back to Long Island. And $25 backs of mangoes, and it was probably a $150 Uber ride to get from my home to Long Island, and this guy was willing to do it. And I said, wow, people really want to get their Pakistani mangoes. But in order to facilitate all these massive mango deals, the alms dealer must be in direct contact with importers. I saw an opening. I asked him how he got them. The mangoes have to go through a process. They come to the U.S. from Pakistan, and in the case of my contact, they come to Texas first. And then from Texas, from Houston, then they're shipped to me in Newark. So there's kind of... Now, you may remember Ahmed's cousin supplier, Amir Baveja, the one with the mango mania poster, was located in Texas. And the stickers on the box indicated that they had come through, again, Texas. Ahmed's local Desi stores get them from Texas. And the alms dealer, Texas. This was like the fourth time the great state of Texas was mentioned in connection to Pakistani mangoes. And at that point, reaching out to so many people and receiving such little feedback, I was starting to look like that stereotype of a crazed detective with a corkboard. You know, you've got your pictures of Pakistani mangoes on one side, all the middlemen I had identified on the other, you know, red string connecting this to that. And in the middle of it all was Texas. So budding private eye that I was, I knew I had to go to Texas. So, I am in the loading dock here in the electron beam research area. It's called the National Center for Electron Beam Research. And yeah, it looks like what you would imagine a lab would kind of be like. And there's a loading dock, there's canisters and dollies and ladders um, and a ceramic owl. 
At this point in my investigation, I had contacted probably six or eight mango importers or farms or middlemen and spoken with a few of them, but I had been unable to book any formal interview besides the one the alms dealer granted me. I remembered the sticker on the original box of mangoes from my Detroit airport pickup. It said Texas A&M AgriLife, and on a whim, I punched it into Google. That led me to College Station, Texas, to Texas A&M University. So I actually also was curious if the mangoes that I bought are in this pile, and they are. That's the mangoes that I traced you off of. That I found the sticker of the farm fresh ones. Now, I reported the story during the off-season, so I didn't actually see any mangoes at Texas A&M, but I did see the exact same box and packaging that was shipped to my cousin. I had traced my WhatsApp mangoes to their very first port of entry and to Dr. Suresh Pillai. Farm Fresh, this is actually the original company that brought in the mangoes, and they are actually, as I mentioned, there are only two companies that bring in mangoes, and that's one of the companies that brings in the largest volume. Dr. Suresh Palai is a professor of microbiology and the director of the facility that treats the majority of the Pakistani mangoes that are coming to the U.S. right now. Dr. Palai takes a lot of pride in his work and always seems to be running to a meeting or talking to someone new every time I spoke with him. He wore a maroon polo proudly emblazoned with his place of work. He tells me only two Pakistani companies are really bringing in mangoes to his facility, which is one of the largest mango treatment facilities in the U.S., That was a huge breakthrough for me. I found the place where the majority of Pakistani mangoes in the U.S. were coming through immediately after arriving from Pakistan. I learned there that in order for the mangoes to be sold and imported, the U.S. and Pakistani government agreed to have them shipped directly to A&M to be treated by electron beam technology according to their specifications. So you see the lights flashing, the red lights flashing, which means that the electron beam is in operation right now and we are coming into an area where the irradiation is taking place. So the sound you hear is the sound of the accelerators in operation. And you see it says the beam is on, which means that the electron beam is currently on. And we are now moving into an area, this is where the products are handled. Oh my God. And it's in a cold room. The products are kept cold because the products are maintained in a very, very controlled environment. What you see here. Electron beam technology is a type of treatment that the National Center for E-Beam Research at Texas A&M specializes in. Dr. Palai speculates that they treated about a quarter of a million pounds of Pakistani mangoes this year. According to him, the mangoes are irradiated not for consumer safety, but for phytosanitary reasons. That's a fancy way of saying they're making sure the mangoes don't accidentally bring in any pests. The USDA requires that some foreign fresh produce be irradiated prior to entering the U.S. market as a way of preventing any unknown diseases from infecting local produce. Electron beam can also extend the fruit's shelf life because these pests can cause spoilage. The radiation requirement is the first speed bump that Pakistani mangoes will hit when trying to get to the U.S. Canada, on the other hand, doesn't seem to require irradiation. In fact, they don't permit irradiated food from entering Canada with a few exceptions, which is why the Canadian supply has always been so much bigger. So there is a concern that mango smugglers could be bringing in pests or invasive species that could be detrimental to U.S. agriculture, which is the same risk you take when you try to bring in, like, a Hawaiian lei from your trip to Maui. By the way, e-beam is not nuclear in nature. It's widely considered to be safe and effective. It seems like Canada's policies are more of a holdover from nuclear radiation nerves. I should repeat that the mangoes are not radioactive. The electron beam is an electrical beam that uses electric energy. 
There are no isotopes, there are no residual effects. So it's an electron beam that's sent at, at probably the 99% the speed of light, and it goes to destroy the bacteria cells. That's Mickey Speakman, who is the facility manager. Typically, food products are irradiated via gamma radiation with cobalt-60, but the E-beam is different. Its advantage is that it's more affordable and easier to handle and more precise. The mangoes require a minimum dose of ionizing radiation, about 400 gray, as the unit is called. The most important part is measuring dose, how much is being delivered to different products. Different uh, products require minimum doses that can stretch all the way from one kilogray to as much as 25 kilograys. The problem with Pakistani mangoes is that there's no current facility in Pakistan to do this type of irradiation. And even if there was, there would need to be a USDA rep there to certify it on site. In fact, the mangoes are actually supposed to be quarantined at port of entry. It means port of entry, which means it has to be treated either in in New York airport or Houston airport. And obviously, there are no electron beam facilities in the Houston airport or Dallas airport, so USDA APHIS gave them the, uh, the approval that they can bring these products unopened under quarantine conditions all the way from the airport to college station to this particular facility. We are a USDA APHIS certified facility. So the process is this super interesting combination of compensating for logistical shortcomings with ingenuity on the part of the exporters. And I also have to mention, I mean, both those companies have really done their homework in terms of understanding post-harvest handling of the fruits so that when they come here, uh, they are treated within 30 hours of harvest from Pakistan. So they are very high-end products. These companies have to do a lot of homework to get their products into the U.S. They have to register with the Pakistani government, obtain an FDA registration number, obtain an APHIS import permit, and sign a bunch of forms. And then pack the mangoes in specific pre-approved boxes to Texas or potentially other facilities. Even the packaging is highly regulated so that none of the invasive fruit flies or weevils leach into the American environment. The mangoes first go to Houston, where they're checked by the APHIS Control Center. They verify that the paperwork and packaging meets the standards. Then they're put in a sealed container and sent to College Station. This may all sound like a bunch of weirdly specific detail, but it's important to understand that the import of Pakistani mangoes requires incredibly complex logistics. So even though the volumes of mangoes that are brought in from Pakistan are relatively small compared to the 3 million pounds of mangoes coming from Mexico, what is very, very unique about the Pakistani importers is their understanding of both the technology and the science that's needed to make it a high-quality product. Mexican mangoes just come over on a truck over the border in appropriate packaging, and some breeds even bypass the radiation process. You might say, ah, so this is why Pakistani mangoes cost $8 a pop, because of the irradiation and complex processing. But you'd be wrong. The facility also irradiates a significant number of Mexican mangoes, but instead of coming by air, those are coming by truck, which apparently accounts for the $6 price difference. All of my sources, the scientists, middlemen, confirm it's the airfare that accounts for the increased price. Dr. Palai says the irradiation itself is very cheap. They claim they can treat 10,000 pounds of mangoes in one hour. The facility is primarily an educational one, not a for-profit one. For these exporters, the devil is in the details. Dr. Palai showed me a table full of all of the attempted Pakistani mango box mock-ups from various companies. 
These are the boxes that have to be approved by APHIS before you can bring mangoes. It was sort of like looking at a graveyard of all the people who tried and failed. And even if you get all the details straight, there's actually still no guarantee you'll even get off the ground in Pakistan. So uh, it's really a travesty because you can see the colorful boxes they've made, but many of them have gotten the permits to import the mangoes. They have made all the arrangements for us to bring it in, but they have not been able to find space on cargo planes or on commercial aircraft from Pakistan to bring in the mangoes. Are those mangoes just not, where do they stay? They stay in Pakistan. Uh, they, they stay in Pakistan. All those delicious mangoes gone to waste. And even if you get approved, get space on a plane, there's still this incredibly high tendency for these delicate mangoes to over-ripen on their long journey from Pakistan to America. Dr. Palai was pretty surprised by how much the Pakistani mangoes actually cost the customer. These Pakistani ones at home? Pakistani ones, you can't buy them in a the market. Mm-hmm. There's maybe some small neighborhoods where you can buy them. Seven or eight dollars each. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't know that? And he definitely didn't know that the mangoes he was processing were being sold through secretive distribution networks. Did not know that this was being sold with probably another middleman buying mangoes in bulk and doing it online through WhatsApp. After the break, Ahmed finally busts open the mango trade. It's time for another Bob's Red Mill Grain Quiz. And today I have the amazing food photographer, Danny Van Acker on the phone. Hey, Danny. Hi, Bridget. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And you are what I would definitely call a vital team member here at America's Test Kitchen. Because without you, nobody would know how good our food looks. Oh, Bridget, you are too kind. (laughs) So I've got a question. Can you tell me which creature is vital to growing almonds? Ooh, all right. I'm thinking about creatures that help plants grow. So I'm going to go with bees. He nailed it. That's absolutely right. Without bees, we wouldn't have Bob's Red Mill's almond flour. It's a great low-carb, gluten-free alternative to wheat flour. So let's just take a moment to thank the bees. All right. Thanks, bees. (laughs) Thanks, Danny. And for more information about Bob's Red Mill's almond flour and a ton of delicious recipes, go to bobsredmill.com. It's okay to be square especially if you're the Kohler Gray's Kitchen Faucet. The faucet's transitional design features a soft square shape that will fit into any kitchen's decor. And it comes in a bunch of finishes, like polished chrome, vibrant brushed nickel, and matte black. The faucet head is versatile. It's got aerate sweep and berry soft sprays that allow you to pick the right water stream for the task at hand. The Gray's also comes in a full collection, so whether you need a pull-down touchless faucet, a pot filler, or even a bar faucet, Kohler has you covered. Kohler, for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Learn more at Kohler.com. A good tool can make experimenting in the kitchen fun. That's why Chef Steps created the Jewel. It takes sous vide cooking to the next level. I asked my test kitchen colleagues what they do with theirs. I actually sous vide sous vide a turkey once. I think vegetables can really benefit from it, too. So you can also sous vide starburst candy, and you can, like, arrange the color, sous vide it, and then they all kind of melt into one another, and you can make jewelry with it. I actually have a sous vide starburst necklace at my desk. Jewel. Perfect starburst necklaces? Every time. 
To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code ATK2019 to get $15 off. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. Code ATK2019. America's Test Kitchen Kids just launched a cooking club for young chefs. Now stay tuned at the end of this episode for a preview of our new subscription box program, The Young Chefs Club, plus a discount code. Before the break, Ahmed was learning why the irradiation of Pakistani mangoes puts a strain on the supply chain. So all of these logistical complications make it really clear why the availability of Pakistani mangoes is so limited in the U.S. and why the price of the ones that do make it here are so high. But at this point, I still didn't understand why the distribution of these little miracles is so underground. I was feeling like I might not ever get my answers. But then... So I am in Cafe Yasmin, which is a Pakistani restaurant uh, in Sugarland, Texas. And I've just met uh, Amar Balveja, who does some of the facilitation through Texas A&M and some of the mango importers here. He's going to take me to his store. Thank you, Amar. I heard from Amar Balveja, the man who sold Roshi by his mangoes, the man who I chased over WhatsApp for nearly a year and a half at this point. And he agreed to meet me at his store in Sugarland, Texas. You're welcome. Let's go to my store. I have to admit, I was really excited. According to my detective work so far, it was clear that Amr was a pretty big player in the selling of Pakistani mangoes. He's a middleman, like the arms dealer, but his business is national, not regional. Pakistani mangoes are a seasonal fruit, and they're only available for a short time. And so they're quite expensive. They're brought over here from Pakistan by air, and then they're taken to Texas A&M, brought back here, and then taken again to the airport for distribution. Logistically, it's all fairly involved, and so the costs increase. Amr doesn't have a ton of competitors. He says few people last in the mango distribution game. There are other vendors also besides us, but mangoes are a very delicate fruit and have a very short shelf life, so it's difficult to take care of them properly. I'm not saying that no one else is working in this area. There are other people, but they start the work and then disappear in a year or so. Overall, it's not easy work. It takes a lot of grit and determination to do this work. So Amr figured out he could easily get his product to local customers, but what about getting it to others? Mangoes were coming to Houston, and customers in Houston were already getting them right away, but we wanted to make arrangements so that the customers in the rest of the country who were Pakistanis, or who love Pakistani mangoes, could also get them quickly. So after the mangoes are put on a plane in Pakistan, they arrive in Houston, they get put on trucks and travel 100 miles to College Station to get irradiated by the E-beam, then Amr collects the mangoes from College Station, takes them back to Houston. At first, when he tried to distribute nationally, it wasn't so easy. He packed them, went to the post office, and shipped them to customers all across the nation. In the beginning, in 2014, when the first shipment arrived, it was a new thing for everyone, and so we tried to ship through the post office. But quite a few mangoes were damaged because of the heat during postal shipments, and we received a lot of complaints that year. So we analyzed the situation in order to find out how to best deliver fresh mangoes. So he had to figure out how to deliver the mangoes faster. After the second year, we arranged with Southwest and United Airlines to deliver the mangoes. 
We asked our customers to pick up the mangoes at the airports, and because the delivery is all from one airport to another, they get fresh mangoes. That really reduced the complaints, to 1 or 2 percent. By putting the mangoes directly onto a plane and having the customers pick up the mangoes at the airport, Amr cut valuable time from the distribution timeline, which means fresher mangoes. For reference, I picked up Roshibai's mangoes at the Detroit airport on July 19th. The Texas A&M AgriLife sticker says it was picked in Pakistan July 15th, treated in Texas July 18th. From the tree, it was in our hand only four days later. Bridget, have you ever bought something from, like, Supreme or Yeezys or, like, a pair of Jordans? (laughs) I cannot say that I have. Okay, well, I haven't either. But what we have in Pakistani mango is kind of a classic high-demand, low-supply item spread by word of mouth, which is kind of like those sneakers. If you've ever experienced a Yeezy Day drop online, there's like this link you go to when there is available supply. You try to rush in and get your order in before anyone else. And when everything is sold out, the link goes dead. Like there's no trace of it left on the internet. Pakistani mangoes are like perishable, low-tech Yeezys. They've got this incredible amount of technical overhead. And if you spend that much money getting them here in the first place, you want to fight tooth and nail to get them to your customer base as quickly as possible. So why WhatsApp? Well, that's where the community is. We have a whole nationwide group of customers, and they order through our WhatsApp. It might be the single most important communication tool that the Pakistani global community has to connect homeland to diaspora. It's secure, it's fast, it allows calls and texts. WhatsApp is a lifeblood, and all sorts of business happens there. Zainab Shah, the food writer we spoke with in episode one, had never ordered mangoes off WhatsApp. But when I asked her, she said she'd be totally comfortable doing it. I've ordered stuff off of WhatsApp, and it's been totally fine. Even in Lahore, you can order cookies. I've ordered cookies on WhatsApp. What else have I ordered on WhatsApp? I think that's pretty much it. Oh, jewelry. I've definitely, there's some jewelers on WhatsApp. I would be okay ordering that as well. So Zanab and others I know have said that they'll drop a thousand U.S. dollars on there for clothing. And if you check the Instagram page of many major Pakistani designers, they often have a WhatsApp number for ordering. So WhatsApp is kind of this incredibly important place for the global Pakistani community at large to do business. There's all this informality to the market, but WhatsApp sort of funnels that chaos. Amr Baveja is constantly trying to figure out ways to make the product better by reducing the time between when the mango is plucked and the moment it arrives to the customer. The advantage would be that the traveling time for the mangoes will be reduced and that will increase the shelf life of the mangoes because they would have been irradiated in Pakistan and so once they reach Houston, they can be sent directly to the store after clearing customs. And this will save a lot of time, nearly a whole day, which is currently lost in the processing. The life of a mango starts when it's plucked from the tree and it continues to mature and ripen till it gets to your plate. From a freshness perspective, the sooner a mango gets to a consumer, the better it is for the mango and the consumer. If mangoes are irradiated in Pakistan closer to when they're picked from the tree, the irradiation can kill the pests that cause spoilage. So, potentially extended shelf life. Plus, then the mangoes can ship directly to any city in the U.S. and skip the College Station pit stop. Both Mickey and Dr. Polai said they hope to train their Pakistani counterparts to take over for them one day, so that the mangoes can be directly irradiated in Pakistan. Turns out, that's on the brink. 
Dr. Pillai told me that there's a facility in Pakistan that can do the treatments, but it's awaiting APHIS inspection and Pakistani governmental approval. Of course, it's held up by, again, bureaucracy on both sides. So, not trying to get my hopes up here, but it looks like I started investigating this right when we might be on the cusp of a mango renaissance. Getting Pakistani mangoes in your local supermarket. It sounds kind of nice, right? But I worry there might be a branding problem before we even get there. There's definitely a huge market for South Asian culture, food, and textiles in America, but it's mostly aimed at India, even though there's this huge overlap between our cultures. In my experience, Pakistanis can have this kind of insecurity complex, especially when it comes to India. I think it boils down to a bit of a marketing problem. Even now when I say I'm going to Pakistan to visit family, people ask me, isn't it kind of dangerous over there? The feeling of being overlooked means that Pakistanis are willing to fight for their products and for their identity. And we're in a moment where Pakistan is asserting itself more on the international stage. But as of today, there's basically no mass-market Pakistani brand in America yet, except maybe Zayn Malik. So while reporting the story and speaking to all my sources, a new question started forming in the back of my mind. What does it say about the Pakistani-American community that they're willing to fight all this logistical chaos and bureaucracy for a fruit? Nearly everyone says that they don't really make much money off of this trade and they're doing it for the love of the mangoes. At least, that's what Amr Baveja says. As a Pakistani, I know how tasty Pakistani mangoes are. But people in the rest of the world generally don't know about them. So it benefits us to inform them of how delicious and delightful Pakistani mangoes are. Why should other people not become aware of this fruit and enjoy its heavenly taste? This is why we do it. We want to promote it and also let others find out how wonderful Pakistani mangoes are. Just like the people of Pakistan. Amr feels this pride, almost a duty to share the mangoes he loves with the world. But can that really be it? Zainab Shah, for her part, isn't buying it. Why would you get into the business of exporting mangoes, which sounds like a logistical nightmare, if you were not making money off of it? You don't think it's possible that the passion for Pakistani mangoes is so high that they're doing it at a loss? I think that that's a really compelling story to tell and uh, more power to them for telling that story because they sound savvy. So, Ahmed, what do you think? I think it's both. It's got to be generosity and savvy. At basically every link in the chain, we have people who do this because they're obsessed with food, they're obsessed with Pakistan, and they want to share it with everyone. They want this business to succeed. On the other hand, the importers and exporters have gone through extreme lengths to set up the supply chain. They have to have a lot of business acumen to make this happen, and they have to be passionate. Same with the customers. Everyone has to have a little bit of both. So what do you think the future looks like for the Pakistani mango here in the U.S.? There's a lot I don't know, but it's possible that you could see it in your local market sometime in the next 10 years. It could be that it continues to be underground. But all I know is that it's transforming in front of our eyes. Like, if it starts being in your local market and it's no longer this special community thing, or, you know, they grow them locally in Florida, it's transformed by that. It's kind of like immigration. Like, once you become adapted to the local environment, it's not necessarily Pakistani anymore. It's not necessarily fully American. It's kind of both. And I really don't know what that'll look like for the Pakistani mango. 
All right, so I've got a question. Where can I try one of these amazing mangoes? It's kind of the most important question, isn't it? It seems the alms dealer and Amr Bavija and Mangoes Easy will still be in business next year. And so I joke with my wife, it's kind of like that scene from The Godfather. He says, eh, you know, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. So you can keep an eye out in June and try to get an order in. I guarantee it's worth it. Personally, I recommend the Chansa. See you all on WhatsApp, detectives. Thanks to reporter Ahmed Ali Akbar for this incredible story. If you want to see some tips on where to buy Pakistani mangoes, they're up on our website. That's www.americastestkitchen.com slash proof. Go check it out. And one more thing. If you like proof, be sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our producer, associate producer Caroline Rickert. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production support from Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Fact-checking by Kaya Williams. Jack Bishop is an electron beam and the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bob's Red Milk, Kohler, Chef Steps, and OXO. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. I'm here in the studio with my colleague, Molly Birnbaum, and she's the editor-in-chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. Hey, Molly. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You bet. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about America's Test Kitchen Kids? Yeah, for sure. So America's Test Kitchen Kids is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. All of the great, reliable recipes and cooking content of America's Test Kitchen, but reimagined for kids. And we just launched a new Young Chefs Club subscription box. Kids receive a themed box filled with kid-tested recipes, hands-on activities and experiments, and other super fun creative stuff. Sounds great. Can you give me, uh, I don't know, an example of some of the experiments that you might receive in one of those Young Chef Club boxes? I can actually do you one better, Bridget. I've actually brought an assistant with me to the studio today. This is Layla. Hi. Hi, Layla. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. So today we're going to explore the science of crispy versus crunchy, two super important textures and two of the most popular food textures for snacks. This is part of a science experiment for our January Young Chefs Club texture box. So we're going to start. You guys both have some chips, classic potato chips and tortilla chips. Do you think you can tell the difference between crispy and crunchy using just your ears, just the sound that you hear when you bite into those chips? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. Let's get into it. So I'm going to eat the potato chip first. I think this one is crispy. Crispy, why? Because it's more delicate and more, like, easier to break. Okay. Great. Want to try the other one? Yeah. Okay, so this one is the tortilla chip. 
What does that one sound like to you? I think that the tortilla chips were more um, thick and I think they were crunchy because they sounded like lower pitch in my mouth. Yeah, they sounded like my brother is yelling at each other. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the potato chips sounded crispier because it sounded like more high pitched in my mouth and it sounded like my guinea pig kind of (laughs) like um, squeaking and stuff because it was more high pitched. Yeah, that's totally right. One thing that scientists agree on with crispy and crunchy foods is that they sound different when we eat them. And so you are are right. The potato chip is crispy, whereas the tortilla chip is crunchy. And in the science experiment in the box, we go into that in a bunch of different ways, including measuring the force it takes to break one of these chips. But what scientists have found is that People describe foods that make higher-pitched sounds as crispy and foods that make lower-pitched sounds as crunchy. This was great. And thanks, Layla. Thank you to Molly. And if you want to get this experiment and lots of other great recipes and activities for the young chef in your life, well, then head over to atkkids.com slash proof. Use code ATKKIDS10 at checkout for 10% off your first box. Hey, Layla, what's your favorite chip? Um, which flavor? Any kind. I like salt and vinegar. 